So how many of you had a dream last night? Uh, Do you remember your dream? Do you have a recurring dream? I do. I have several of them. One of them is that I am in college trying to find the room to take my final test. Any of you have that dream? Can't find the room, never went to class the whole semester, didn't read the book. You maybe did that in reality, huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Most of our dreams, well, at least some of our dreams, don't seem to make a whole lot of sense, do they? You dream something, you say, what in the world did that mean? If anything, or how in the world did I dream that? There are some dreams found in Scripture that have great meaning, and we find one of them in Daniel chapter 2. So would you turn there, Daniel chapter 2. And I've given the title of my message today, A Dream That Will Come True. Daniel chapter 2. It's a long chapter, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to pick up at verse 31, where Daniel interprets the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. A dream that frightened him, scared him, but God gave revelation through that dream. Chapter 2 of Daniel, starting at verse 31. And Daniel says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck them, excuse me, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power, and the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you than another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. 
And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have revealed in your word history before it even happens. You're the God that knows the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. You are the God who says, my purpose will stand. And I will do all that I please. Lord, help us to bow before you today, acknowledging that you are the God of history. That you have a plan for this world. And one day you are going to bring in your kingdom that will never be destroyed. That will never end. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Rodney Stortz, in his commentary on Daniel, says, It happened to me again. I woke up in a cold sweat, my heart pounding and my mind racing. A dream, the same dream I have had over and over for the last 20 years. The dream usually occurs on Saturday night. There's your clue that this is a pastor writing. In the dream, I'm sitting in the pulpit chair on the platform of our sanctuary with my Bible open on my lap. Everyone in the church is singing, everyone except me. I am feverishly looking through my Bible for my sermon notes. As I come to the realization they are not there, I feel increasingly powerless. My legs are getting weaker. My arms are feeling limp. I realize I have no idea what I am going to say. In my dream, the singing stops. And I get up weak and powerless, my mind empty. I begin to speak, but the people are obviously not a bit interested in what I have to say. One by one, they begin to leave. I look at my wife and she is frowning. Finally, everyone else has gone. When everyone else has gone, my wife gets up and she leaves too. At that moment, I awake in a cold sweat, thankful that it was just a dream. And then he goes on to say, dreams like that are usually the result of worry and an over, overactive imagination. They are not a divine revelation of the future, I hope. <laughs> so most of the dreams we have really make no sense, and they don't have any particular meaning for our lives. 
So when you have a dream and you get up and say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me through this? Probably nothing, okay? Most of the dreams we have really don't make any sense whatsoever. But there are dreams that are given in Scripture that we ought to take note of. And one example is found here in Daniel chapter 2 in the dream that God gave to the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. If you read through the chapter, it's very clear that God wants to reveal something to us in this dream. Because our text is filled with words like reveal, show, declare, make known. Words like that just scattered throughout the whole chapter. These words are used about 30 times in this chapter. So when you see words like that used over and over again, you've got to say something. You know what? Maybe God is trying to tell me something here. Maybe God wants to reveal something, make something known. So we'd be wise to hear what God has to say. So this is one of those dreams that does make sense. And I would suggest to you that there are three things in this chapter that God wants to reveal to us. And the first is this. God reveals how futile pagan religion is. How futile pagan religion is. It was the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign when he had this dream. And the dream he had greatly troubled him. It was one of those dreams that you may have had before. A scary dream. You wake up and you can't fall back to sleep. Had some of those? It's like, wow, that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So he called in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And he told them he wanted them to know the meaning of the dream. Verse 3 said, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand. So the Chaldeans told the king in verse 4, tell us the dream and we will tell you the interpretation. But the king responded with a very surprising response. He said, the command from me is firm, verse 5, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and the interpretation, you will receive gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Now, that's quite a plea, right? He's not going to tell them the dream and then they interpret it. He says, I want you to tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. Now, if you're one of these religious gurus, as one man describes them, you would probably say what they said. Verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants and will declare the interpretation. The king was not satisfied with that, so he repeated his demand. In verse 8, he said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm. That if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree. You've agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me the interpretation. How would you like to work for a king like that? Now, it's easy to point our finger at Nebuchadnezzar. 
It's easy to say, what on earth does he expect from these men? How are they supposed to interpret the dream when they don't know what it is? If he doesn't tell them. So we tend to see the king as the problem, and and most people do. But could it be that the king isn't the real problem here? Could it be that the problem really isn't Nebuchadnezzar? The king must have wondered if these men knew what they were talking about when they interpreted dreams. If they had the wisdom to know what the dream meant, is this what he's reasoning? Shouldn't they also know what the dream was? Was the king of Babylon putting his finger on the problem of paganism in Babylon? After all, they were the magicians, they were the conjurers, they were the sorcerers, they were the religious professionals of Babylon. They were supposed to know these things, but they didn't. They didn't. And notice their response in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or or Chaldean. Moreover, the, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Now, if you think about what these guys are saying, this is a confession. Isn't it? Uh, Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on Daniel says, Now think, why does the biblical writer want you to hear this? Not because in helpless frustration they so much as call the king an irrational royal nutcase, because their words are a confession of the failure of, of paganism. They had no answer. And Daniel reinforces that thought later in verse 27. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. So the lesson here that we learn is that their pagan religion had no answer for Nebuchadnezzar. They had no idea what God was saying in this dream. The king needed help. They had nothing to offer him. No help whatsoever. They had no idea what this message was from God. If you look again at verses 10 and 11, you'll notice that these religious leaders were wrong on two accounts. First of all, they said in verse 10, there is not a man on earth who can declare the matter for the king. There was a man on earth who could declare the matter to the king. Who was that? That was Daniel. So they were wrong about that. The mystery was revealed to Daniel and Daniel made it known to the king. So Daniel had the answer. All of the pagan gurus didn't, but Daniel did, so they were wrong on that. And then the religious leaders also said in verse 11, The thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the the king except gods, 
<laughs> and then they said, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. And they were wrong on that too, weren't they? <laughs> the God of Daniel was with Daniel. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The false gods, they don't dwell with men because they're not really gods at all. But the true God does indeed dwell with men. The true God does indeed dwell with us, does He not? By His Spirit who dwells within us. And it didn't matter how difficult things were for Daniel and his friends. He was able to meet their need. Daniel was one of those wise men. There was the threat that he would be torn limb from limb and his house become a rubble. But God was with him. And God declared that mystery. And I love how Daniel describes God when the mystery had been revealed. Look at verse 20. He, he blessed the God of heaven and Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and established kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now. You've made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. What a contrast we see here between the true God and the false gods of this world, right? The pagan religion of Babylon had no answers. It couldn't give any wisdom to the king about the future. But our God is the God of wisdom. He is the God of power. He reveals what will happen in the future. He rules over all the kingdoms of the world. And there is no good reason why we should ever abandon Him for the helpless false gods of this world. Listen to Psalm 135, verse 15. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths. But they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Verse 18 says, those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. So if you want to be helpless, put your trust in the false gods of this world. They will offer you nothing. There was nothing that these men could do to to help Nebuchadnezzar in his situation. They had no answer. But if you want help in time of need, if you want someone who can save you and someone who can provide for you, someone who can guide you through life, then you need to put your trust in the only one who can help you. And his name is Jesus. God reveals how... Feudal, pagan, religion is. There was no answer, no help that could be provided for the king. Second lesson we learn through this dream. God reveals how fragile human power is. In verses 31 to 35, 
And Daniel recounts to Nebuchadnezzar the dream that the king had. The statue, a head of gold, arms of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and the stone that was cut out of the mountain, not with human hands, becomes this great mountain and it crushes this statue, thoroughly destroys it. Verse 35 says it becomes like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so not even a trace of that statue was left. So that's what Nebuchadnezzar saw. He's wondering, what in the world does this mean? He could not sleep. It was so frightening, especially if that dream had something to say about him, which it did. And so Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream. And there are a couple things that he made very clear to Nebuchadnezzar. The first thing he made very clear is that the only reason that King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon is because God had put him there. Look at verse 37. He said, you, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and he has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. I think this must have shocked Nebuchadnezzar. Because you get the impression that here was a man, here was a king that thought he could do just about anything he wanted to do. If he wanted to wipe out all the wise men, he could could just say the word and and they'd be dead. If he wanted to go into another land and, and take them captive, he could do that. He was doing that, right? Conquering all kinds of territory. But Daniel told him, this isn't the way it works. He was the king because God had placed him in that position. It reminds me of what Jesus said to Pilate. Remember in John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. So, king, you're the head of gold, and there's only one reason why you're the head of gold. That's because God has put you there. So you need to recognize that. You can't just do whatever you want. If God put you there, He can remove you. And that's what every leader in our world needs to understand, that they are there by God's appointment, and God can remove them just like that. So, King, you need to understand that. The only reason you're there is because God put you there. And the second thing Daniel told the king is that your kingdom isn't going to last. It's not going to last. There's going to come a day when when you're going to be removed. And that was so abundantly clear of the dream because the statue, after it was crushed, became like chaff. The wind blew it away and there was not a trace of it. You farmers know what chaff is when you're combining. And the wind just takes it away. Nebuchadnezzar, you need to understand that as well. One author says kings and kingdoms, presidents and dictators, democracies and tyrannies and monarchies come and go and enter the landfill of history. 
human power is very fragile. You can be in a position of power and one moment and the next, God has taken you out. He raises kingdoms up. He brings kingdoms down. So how should Nebuchadnezzar have responded to this? Had he been a wise king, he would have humbled himself before God and repented of his sin, but he didn't. He did acknowledge in verse 47 that Daniel's God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries. But if you look at what he did in the very next chapter, in this vision, he's described as the head of gold. And being the head of gold, it went to his head. It did. He builds this 90-foot gold uh, statue, gold image, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. And anyone who didn't bow down to that image, what was going to happen to them? Thrown into a blazing furnace of fire. He didn't get it, did he? Daniel said, you are the head of gold because God put you there. But your kingdom is not going to last. You need to understand that God can remove you just like that anytime he wants to. But he didn't get it. Like many people in positions of power today, he didn't get it. This ought to be an encouragement to us. As we think of what's going on in the world today, God is still on the throne, people. And sometimes you look at the news, and we get frustrated, right? We get angry. Lord, when are you going to do something? You know, how evil is abounding. God is still on the throne. He still rules over the nations of the world, and we don't need to be worried about the future. Don't be worried about the future. There's a God in heaven who still rules. So he reveals how futile pagan religion is, how fragile human power is. And the end of the dream really encourages God reveals how firm his kingdom is. The description of the kingdom of God in our text is quite brief, actually. But it is everything that the kingdoms of the world are not. Kings and kingdoms will one day be destroyed. What does it say about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is indestructible. Verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. The kingdom of Babylon was destroyed. The Medes and Persians was destroyed. The Egyptian kingdom was destroyed. The Roman Empire fell. <laughs> this kingdom will never be destroyed. Kings and kingdoms will come and, go, come and go, but the kingdom of God will be the final kingdom. Verse 44, that kingdom will not be left for another people. Kings and kingdoms last for a short time, but the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. 
verse 44, it will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. The kingdom of God is everything that the kingdoms of the world are not. The contrast couldn't be sharper. And it's interesting to notice how the kingdom of God begins as a stone. A stone that was cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. Why? Because it's God who's building that kingdom. Started as a stone, but becomes a great mountain. Verse 35, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. As I was thinking about this picture of the kingdom, beginning just like a small stone, I was reminded how easy it is to get discouraged in the work of the kingdom. We feel like we're we're, we're fighting a losing battle sometimes, don't we? I mean, look at culture and we think, we're losing the battle. We need to see the big picture. History is what? His story. That's what it is. It is moving toward the goal that God has established for the world that He created. And if it appears that things are falling apart, we need to remember that things are actually falling into place. Because God is moving this world in accordance with His plan. And like one man said, I read the end of the book and we win. Right? We win. Dale Ralph Davis says, This solid assurance of the victory of God's kingdom is meant to bring a contagious certainty to the people of God. People so often squashed under the arrogant heels of earth's kingdoms and rulers. Such an immovable dogma puts iron in their intestines and nerve in their spirits as they walk through the disappointments of life and the reverses of history. They never totally despair because they know that Jesus Christ is not only the faithful witness, as we read from Revelation, and the firstborn of the dead, but He is also the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's who Jesus is, right? He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is still on the throne. And though we don't always see it clearly, He rules from heaven, and one day He's going to come again, and He's going to bring in that kingdom that will never end. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it isn't one of those dreams that has no meaning. It is God's revelation to us. And it is a dream. I can assure you, it is a dream that will come true. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you reveal in this dream. How futile pagan religion is. 
how fragile human power is, but also how firm your kingdom is. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. And we know that part of the answer to that is when you come and dwell within us, the kingdom of God is within us, but we also await that day. When Jesus comes on that white horse, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, bringing in that kingdom that will never be destroyed, the kingdom that will last forever. Lord, that's our hope. That's our joy. And we find that in Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord, but also our coming warrior, our King. Lord, thank you for that encouraging word today. Lord, help us to rest in that, not worry about the future, but to know that your plan for this world will take place. Your purpose will stand, and no one can stand against you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us and all that you will do in fulfillment of your word. We ask it in your name. Amen.